Get ready to hear the truth about America on a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. All right, welcome to the Dan Bongino Show. Excited to be back on this hey. Monday. Producer Joe, how are you today? Joe Shifty! Shifty, yeah. Did you see how he's got a new nickname we can't say on the show? No! Because there's no way to do the spelling on it. This is not a visual show. It's an audio show. Maybe soon in the future. But Trump gave him a new nickname. Yes, um, he did. Yeah, it, it, it rhymes with bit. Like a computer bit, but it starts with the letter that Adam Shifty's <laughs> name starts with. So Trump, oh man, is that the greatest air quotes misspelling of a name in the history of a presidential tweet? Donald Trump, for uh, Joe, uh, what Joe's referring to is yeah. Donald Trump tweeted to Adam Schiff uh, this weekend and uh, may have accidentally, <laughs> her, wink and a nod, misspelled his name in the tweet, <laughs> Adam uh S-H-I-T-T instead of F-F. Crazy. Crazy how that Crazy happens. How that happens. I just a Joe, it's just a mistake. It's just not a big deal. I don't it's just know. a mistake. <laughs> this is Trump. The greatest Twitter troll in the history of, of, of U.S. politics, uh. Donald Trump. I, I'm telling you. And I get it. Some people don't like it. They think it's not presidential. I, I Folks, I don't care. Uh, just a quick note on this before we get started. I we've tried this presidential nonsense forever. Uh. Presidential. We've tried it with Bush. We've tried all these people who run on, you know, high level decorum and all this stuff. And they've spent us into an abyss. And the country's been a train wreck the entire time. I'll take a little bravado, a little Twitter trolling and a little New York Queen style <laughs> and, and, and uh, a growing economy any day of the week and twice on Sunday. I'm just saying. <laughs> all right. I got a stacked show today, right. um, including some explosive uh, revelations. I was at a, a conference this weekend down in, in uh, Palm Beach, and we got a lot of new listeners. So if you met me down there and you're listening today, welcome. And I gave uh, this talk about this Spygate thing, and it was a, a, a just another crazy story this weekend that everybody seems to be missing the angle on. So I got that and a lot of other stuff to get to. Today's show brought to you by our buddies at Wax Rx. Hey, you know, I love my sponsors. I don't... Uh, put stuff or sponsors on the show I can't use or won't recommend. And this is where WaxRx comes in handy. When I was uh, doing my prior line of work, uh, we had to wear an earpiece all day. And in that earpiece, I had significant problems with earwax buildup. True story. And you don't even realize what you can't hear because it builds up over time. You don't even realize you're not hearing anything. Um, so I had to get it out. And you can't, those cotton swabs are not made for that, folks. That's not what you're supposed to use them for. As a matter of fact, it's very dangerous. It even says it on the back. So in order to get earwax out, you'd have to go to the doctor. Now, here's a a review we got from WaxRx from an actual listener. It's not the sexiest product to talk about again, but as I told you, it's really, really good and helpful. It's a great product, save you a lot of money. It said, I used to have to go to the doctor twice a year to get rid of my stubborn, hard earwax. With my rising cost of healthcare and double deductible, I'd have to spend $60 per visit. That's $120 a year to treat my ears. That's expensive. Now I can do it myself with WaxRx and a significant savings. That also doesn't require me to miss a half a day of work. Thank you, WaxRx. Right now, you can try the WaxRx system by typing in, get ready, GoWaxRx.com. That's GoWaxRx.com. Use offer code DAN at checkout for free shipping. You'll love it. It's so easy to use, folks. You're going to be shocked when it comes out of your ears. I know that grosses some people out, but it's true. Yeah. GoWaxRx.com. Promo code DAN for free shipping. Don't wait. You have no idea what you might be missing. GoWaxRx.com. Offer code DAN. Check it out. All right. Um. Before we get to some of the other stories, uh, some some news, you know, uh, folks, what did I tell you last week about the Florida race? And to my good friend, Marion, who emails me a lot, I read your emails. I'm sorry, I don't get to respond to all of them. But down here in Florida, she's an activist. I know she listens to the show. 
She had said to me, sent me an email, Dan, stop telling people to not pay attention to the Senate race and governor's race in Florida. That is not what I was saying. Not what I was saying at all. Joe, you are your part. Did I? Well, I was very clear that that's a big deal, too. I just said to you that I don't think that's what the Democrats are playing for. Yeah. I think the Democrats were they, they saw it as a long shot. They figured there's no downside right now to basically overturning our democracy, bringing in fake votes in Florida or, or I shouldn't say fake votes. I don't know that. But after potentially invalid votes is a precise way to say mm-hmm. it after the deadline, it wouldn't be valid if they didn't meet the deadline to try to overthrow the Senate election and the governor's uh, election to their side. But what I suggested to you is, although that was a huge long shot, that while we're all focused on that race, and I was right, the media was paying little to no attention outside of the staff at Fox and Friends that picked up the story on the agriculture commissioner race in Florida, which I'm saying to you matters. I'm not bringing this up because I'm a Floridian. This is not a local show. It's a national, international show. It matters to you because the Democrats have figured out now if they can push the issue and keep the media attention focused on these high end races, even if they lose down ballot, they can slip in whatever they want. And what did they do? They're now getting ready to declare Nikki Freed the winner uh, the, of the agriculture commissioner race in Florida, the Democrat, despite 77,000 magic ballots showing up. Nobody can explain how this happened to this point. I thought my jokes were bad. I love that. That is, that, I, what is that? Wait, wait. That's the Joker. Yes, yes. I, I knew it. I'm like, I knew it. And then I forgot. <laughs> yeah, folks. I warned you this was going to happen. Caldwell, the Republican, who was an enormous uh, Second Amendment advocate, matter of fact, ran most of his campaign on it. And that agriculture commissioner office, which, however weird it is, controls the issuance of carry permits, firearm carry permits in Florida. The Democrats, the, the, the Republican was up 40,000 on election night. He winds up losing by close to two to 5,000 votes, depending on what count you use. Oh. They're getting ready to declare the Democrat the winner in the race, despite the fact that nobody can explain what happened. I warned you this was going to happen, folks. Now, they've already conceded in the Senate race. I told you that was going to happen because they could not possibly find enough new votes. And they've already conceded in the governor's race, the Democrats. I told you. I didn't say don't pay attention. I just said they are hoping you pay all of your attention to that while ignoring that. And exactly what I said was going to happen, happened. So I, I love your emails to everybody, Marion and Claire. I appreciate them, but I wish you'd listen. I was trying to tell you to stay focused on their prize. Their prize was that ag commission race, and they got it. Nobody has explained how the Republican won on election night. Multiple media outlets declared it, and then all of a sudden, he lost the next day. Nobody's explained that. Now, what do I think happened? This is super important. I just get, uh, you know, folks, I just get upset because I really, really, when I say stuff on the show, my credibility matters. And I didn't want you to think I was making this up. I got this from a lot of connected conservative insiders in Florida that this was exactly the Democrat, the Democrat plan. Take a long shot at the top, but take whatever you can down ballot by slipping in a lot of these ballots afterwards. By the way, sorry about that. Joe knows what I mean. I throw Joe so many unnecessary edits in the show. It's incredible. I feel really bad. Here's what happened. And I'll move on. Just so you understand the template for the future about how the Democrats test things out in these states. And then they're going to modify this strategy for other states and potentially 2020. Brenda Snipes, who is now looks like she's going to step down in Broward County, the election supervisor, Broward County, where all of these mystery votes came in that flipped this ag race. Brenda Snipes, they, it appears now, folks, they took votes in after the deadline. 
Those are not valid votes. No. I, I don't know how difficult this is to explain to liberals and why they don't get this or if they're just playing dumb, which I assume many are in the interest of advancing their political cause, which is stealing elections. If you don't vote by a deadline, you don't get to vote. Joe, is, is this you are the audience ombudsman, brother? Um, stop me if any of this is confusing. Dude, when the store is closed, the doors are closed. The store is closed. Yes. It's called robbery. Oh. If you go in the store after 8 p.m. when it closes and you remove stuff, yep. it is not a purchase. It's called a theft. Good analogy. The election store is closed on election day. Yeah. There are some stipulations made for military ballots overseas, which I think all of us agree with. I don't care if military ballots vote for or against me. You serve in the military. You, sh- you should get a pass on that. Bingo. I get it. Mm-hmm. There are and absolutely. You are fighting for our nation. You, you, there are separate rules for you. Totally understand. And that's already built in. No one's asking to change the rules after the game. But there are not extra rules. The store doesn't stay open after 8 p.m. You get to vote while the store is open. When the store is closed, it's called theft. This was why I was emphasizing to you the day after the Florida election, why it was so devastating that Brenda Snipes could not come up with a total vote count. The total vote count is everything. Because once you put a ceiling on how many votes made it in while the store was open on election day, once you put a a ceiling on that, you can't fabricate new votes. Or invalid votes. Once you put a cap on it, it's over. Here's how many votes we received. Election day ended. You can't continue to vote days after. Folks, I mean, is this? Oh, my gosh. How complicated is this? If you continue to vote after an election. Now, if there, let's say Matt Caldwell won by four or five percentage points. There's no way the Democrats are going to make up hundreds of thousands of votes after election day. They'd be caught easily. But Joe, if as in Matt Caldwell's race, it's less than one percentage point, you just need 10, 20,000 votes uh, to find here or there to flip from one side to another. Mm -hmm. And you continue to take votes after the deadline because you didn't announce how many total votes there were. All of a sudden, hey, hey, how many votes do we need? How many votes do we need in Broward to flip that ag commissioner race? I think we need 20,000. Okay, keep that deadline open. They still have not announced where these votes came from. So the theory now in Florida is that while we were all paying attention to the uh, the top of the ticket, that they came in, and I, this is what I had said. I said, Rick Scott had a really good legal team. Janice, uh, was it Janice, Janet First Johnson who came in? She's on Drudge today. Did a great job. They came in at the top of the ticket, show, and the running theory now is that Rick Scott's lawyers and DeSantis's lawyers were good enough to come in and put a lid on this growing total mm. vote count that there was no ceiling for. Mm. How many votes we need? How many more? How many more? How many more? All of a sudden, the lawyer said, Ixnay, stores closed. And they had to stop mm-hmm. because that what happened? A flashlight got 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 shined on them. And all of a sudden, they were like, hey, man, we, this is, you know, we don't want to get arrested over this right. or whatever. But they didn't catch it in time for them to stop flipping the ag race. In other words, the ag race was closer than both of them. And all of a sudden, once they flipped that ag race, they were like, okay, whatever, we can stop now. The lawyers are here. That's one of the theories I'm seeing out there. Now, that theory could be easily overturned, Joe, and and we will correct it with some transparency. And when we find out where those 77,000 votes came from. But right now, we have no idea. Now, what should we do? 
there should be a lawsuit immediately. Matt Caldwell should not, should not under any circumstances concede this election Mm. until we find out where those votes came from. If they were valid votes and he lost, that's fine. We're not the Democrats. We're not going to allege Russian collusion. We're not going to go Antifa, start breaking up the Starbucks, lighting people on fire, kicking the crap out of folks, breaking windows. We're not going to do any of that. Spitting on people. That's fine. We lost fair and square. But we don't know we lost fair and square. And the integrity of the election process is at stake right now. It is grossly unfair what happened to this guy. And it's about guns. And if they do this now, they will do it in the future. Whenever there is a race within one point, they'll say, let's just do this. Let's do this. uh, uh, Leave the open ballot question open. Let's leave the store open forever till we get enough votes. We can flip a few down ballot congressional seats. Everybody will pay attention to the top of the ballot. We'll steal whatever we can steal and we'll run into the, and now everybody's celebrating. Look, we run the Senate race in Florida. We run the governor's. Great. Good. We lost another race. We should have won. And they're the ones controlling the, the firearm permits now in Florida. Shame. Okay. Um, should I get to, you know what? Let me cover this reappearance of the fixer because this is, uh, <laughs> this is just the fixer. I love this story. So, this weekend, I'm sitting around, and uh, Devin Nunes had appeared on on uh, Maria Bartiromo's show. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I have the Nunes translator. I, uh, I, I, I've given that I have a lot <laughs> of the facts in this case kind of nailed down. Now, I'm not suggesting I have anywhere close to the information he has, but we've got some good sources in this case. We literally wrote a book on Spygate. Um, I, I can translate what Nunes is, uh, Nunes is saying a lot. And Nunes appears on Mia, Maria Bartiromo's show a lot, and he had an interesting interview this weekend. So I want to hit on this first. And then I want to get to the reappearance of the Obama fixer in an article I read in the Daily Beast this week, and it's going to blow your mind, and it's going to it's going to make all the sense in the world to you right now what Mueller is really up to. And here's a hint: it's not about Russian collusion. But Joe, first, play some of this, and I'll stop it uh, this time. I promise I will not make any hand gesticulation show until I need you to stop. Okay. Uh, the new fourth bucket that we're asking actually to be declassified now is for months. Uh, we have been reviewing emails between FBI and DOJ and others uh, that clearly show that they knew about information that should have been presented to the FISA court. So it is real evidence that, that people within the FBI withheld evidence from the FISA court. Now, these are classified. Yeah. Uh, and they need to be declassified. Uh, we have been asking, this has went to the highest levels, uh, you know, even above myself. Uh, it's it went as high as the speaker. The speaker has been requesting the Department of Justice right. uh, to give us these emails, uh, to make as many public as possible. Yeah. And still, even though we know what's in those emails, a lot of them are still redacted. Folks, again, the Nunes translator here. I want you to understand what I think is going on behind the scenes. Nunes, as he just said, has seen and knows what's in these FBI emails. We have now been postulating for a long time, if you're a listener to the show, that the Papadopoulos and Page stuff was a setup, that members of the Trump team were set up by people in the foreign intelligence community and uh, the U.S. intelligence community. And it looks like law enforcement who may have been involved at this point in the FBI. Right. They were set up to look like they were colluding with the Russians when, in fact, they were not. Now, that's that's old news. There's nothing new there. Now, this is new. The fact that Nunes goes on Maria Bartiromo's show and says that there is now a fourth tranche of documents that they want un- unclassified. And that fourth tranche of, do- tranche of documents, bucket of documents, as he called them, um, is a bunch of emails, which apparently he has read or understands what's in them, is devastating. Because what does this mean? What he's trying to say there, employing our translator here, Joe, 
is that mm-hmm. not only was there exculpatory evidence, in other words, evidence that the FBI and, and the DOJ had that indicated that the people involved in this alleged Russian collusion scheme were not, in fact, colluding with the Russians, but that the people involved did not want to collude with the Russians. In other words, were not implicated in a scheme to do this at all. Not only were they not guilty, that's different. They were potentially innocent. In other words, those are not those are distinct things, folks. Mm-hmm. Not guilty, meaning, you know what? Maybe they were involved in some shady activity, but the activity wasn't necessarily criminally, wasn't legally criminal. You get what I'm saying? Right. Like, they're probably not proud of it. I'm suggesting to you that the reason Nunes wants you to see these emails between the FBI and the DOJ and others is that not only are they not guilty of a crime, that these people may not have been guilty of anything at all. They may have been innocent entirely and not wanted any kind of implication in this Russian collusion at all. Now, why do I bring this up? Folks, we now know something's going on with the foreign intelligence entities and Papadopoulos and Page. Why? Because when Trump threatened to declassify these documents, showing that I believe these people were set up by the government and other, by U.S. government and others, we now know that the uh, that our foreign friendlies objected to this. I'm assuming those friendlies, based on the evidence in the case, are Australia and the United Kingdom. We don't want this information out. I want to tie this now to another piece I have in the show notes this week. It's an older piece by Allie Watkins. Oh, oh, Allie, remember the name? Allie Watkins that appeared in November. This Allie Watkins piece is critical because it's going to put, this is going to make sense in a minute. So just to be clear on what we're talking about here, right? Nunes goes on Barato Roma this weekend and says there are a set of emails, a bucket of emails that indicate heavily that these people involved in this, Papadopoulos and Page, were not guilty of this, were innocent of this Russian collusion, and that evidence was not presented to the FISA court when the FBI went to the FISA court indicating there was Russian collusion going on. It's as simple as that. Some FBI agent walked in alleging there was a bank robbery, knowing the whole time that the guy didn't rob the bank. That's it. That's the story. It's that simple. What do I think is really going on here? Now it's starting to make sense. I put this article in the show notes before, but it creeped up again from a listener who sent it back to me this weekend. It's been in my, we've actually discussed this before, but now it makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. I think Nunes knows, obviously, that this was a setup. Joe. Allie Watkins writes this piece for political. Let me give you the exact date because the date is, uh, the date is interesting on this. All right. Hold on. Allie Watkins, uh, 11-9-2017. So November of 2017, she writes this piece. Now, she writes this piece about the mysterious Putin's niece who's introduced to Papadopoulos, right? Now, think about it, right? If you're looking to implicate Joe Armacost or Joe Papadopoulos in a, in a Russian collusion mm-hmm. scheme, look, we're going to set this guy up for colluding with the Russians. What better way to do it than to introduce Joe to someone you claim is Vladimir Putin's niece? Oh, right. What better way to do it? Well, that's what happened to Papadopoulos. He was introduced to this woman, Olga Vinogradova, as uh, who was introduced as Putin's niece by this uh, mysterious Maltese professor we can't seem to find who uh, claims to his lawyer he wants to tell his story now in front of the Senate. Ali Watkins in November of 2017, Joe, writes a piece writes a piece about Vinogradova, hmm. Olga Vinogradova, this, this Russian niece. This is last year. This is in 2017. This is a year ago. How is she so read in on this? Well, who is Allie Watkins? Allie Watkins was the girlfriend of James Wolfe, 
the staffer on the Senate Intel Committee that is alleged to have been involved in a leak scandal and lying about it, according to prosecuting documents, uh, with his girlfriend. Wolf is the guy, ladies and gentlemen, who was arrested and prosecuted for lying to the FBI about leaking documents to who? Allie Watkins, the woman who writes this piece about the Russians. This will make sense in a second. Hang with me here because it's important. So now it looks like we have this FISA document that lays out this whole scheme, right? What was presented to the courts? What was presented to the courts in the FISA document was a document about the setup. Now, the information about the setup that led people to believe that Papadopoulos and Page were innocent or exculpatory was left out. That's what Nunes is saying. In other words, Nunes is saying the FBI walked into a FISA court with a document full of stuff saying Papadopoulos is guilty, but left out the stuff saying Papadopoulos is innocent, okay? That's what the FISA document, it makes sense, Joe? Bureau walks into court saying Papadopoulos is colluding with the Russians, Page is colluding with the Russians. They walk into court with that, despite the fact that they're emailing each other why they're not guilty, all the reasons they're not guilty, right? Mm Mm-hmm. That document gets leaked. We now know this. It gets leaked as it's passed from the FISA court to the Senate Intel Committee. It's alleged now that one of the leakers is James Wolf, who works on the Senate Intel Committee and then leaks it to his girlfriend, Allie Watkins, who then writes a piece in November about this mysterious Putin's niece. Is she like the key to the whole thing? Here's what she says in the piece. This is crazy. What does it tell you? It tells you that is there something in that FISA application that's redacted that will lead us to believe that this woman, Vinogradova, is really not a Russian asset and may have been working with friendlies to set up Papadopoulos. How else would she know this? She has a relationship with with the guy who's who's alleged to be the leaker. Mm. Here's what she writes. Papadopoulos referred to Vinogradova by name in his campaign era emails during the spring of 2016. Sources tell Politico. Who were her sources? The guy on the Senate committee who was reading the FISA application? Introduced to Papadopoulos in March of that year by a London-based academic, Mifsud. She was part of what federal investigators suspect. Ah, ah, listen to this. They're talking about, she's talking about Vinogradova. Keep in mind, this is the Politico uh, writer now who's had a relationship with a staffer on the Senate Intel Committee who's alleged to be leaking to her the contents of the FISA application. She was part of what federal investigators suspect may have have been a Russian effort to infiltrate Trump's campaign team with the help of intermediaries or cutouts. What a beautiful story. What a beautiful story to tell. Putin's niece shows up. She's willing to set up meetings with all of these people in the in the Russian Federation. She meets with a person on the Trump team. Oh, the story's beautiful, except for the fact that no one can find this lady. No one knows exactly what her ties to the Russian Federation are. She seems to be appearing in this Allie Watkins piece after she's getting leaks from her boyfriend who's got the FISA application. And yet nobody can find her and nobody can find Ms. Sud either. And Ms. Sud's telling people through his lawyer that he was working for friendlies. Folks, and how does the Nunes stuff, the Nunes stuff make sense? Hmm. Hmm. It doesn't, Joe. I can see in your, you're missing me here, aren't you? I'm a little shady. Was Allie Watkins, this reporter for Politico, uh-huh. was she being used 
to advance the case against oh. Papadopoulos. Okay, I is what I'm getting. That's at. what you're getting at. Okay. Was this information strategically leaked? I got you through this Senate staffer to this reporter at Politico to write this piece about Olga Vinogradova, this Russian carve out, knowing the whole time she wasn't a Russian carve out at all. Right. Where would that information appear? If it was so dangerous that everybody wanted to keep it hidden outside of Donald Trump, which they all wanted hidden. The only one who wants this release is Donald Trump and you and I, the FISA application, right? Why does everybody want this stuff hidden and Nunes and Trump want it out there? Because in the FISA application, it's probably discussed at some point what the role of this person was Mm -hmm. or people connected to her. Got it. In other words, was Watkins and other people in the media being strategically used to set up this story that Papadopoulos was working with Russians when, in fact, Papadopoulos was meeting with friendlies who were setting him up. Right, 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 right. Folks, it gets worse. This story, I got, does that make sense now, Joe? That makes sense now, All I'm saying is this. He was set up, and they knew it. Everybody knows it. He was set up by Western Intel friendlies to look like he was colluding with the Russians. They put it in the FISA. They knew it wasn't true. They then leaked the FISA to reporters. And in the FISA, it says that, oh, she was a Russian carve out. She could have been dealing with. She was not dealing. Nobody knows that. All we know is the connections are to Westerns. Mm. They were using her. Vinegredova. Sounds like salad dressing. Yeah. Paul and Scott. I think it means like wine something yeah. in Russian, I might, which is funny because she exclaimed at one point. This is like one of the biggest jokes of all. Huh. Uh, what is Papadopoulos said? I think she manages a wine store <laughs> and her name is Olga Vinogradova. I think, Joe, I'm not even kidding. I remember I, that. Uh, yeah. I th- right. Remember that when Papadopoulos <laughs> yes. told us that? Yeah. I, I think that's an inside joke. Uh-huh. No, no. I mean, amongst the, in- I'm not even kidding. I think this is such a bad setup and so embarrassingly stupid that they gave her the name Olga Vinogradova, even though she's working with friendlies to set up Papadopoulos. And then she goes, oh, I manage a wine store. That's like in English, uh, Joe's name being Joe Wine Store. <laughs> and then he tells me, you know what I do? I work for a wine store. And your name is Joe Wine Store? That's pretty crazy. I swear this is some kind of an inside joke. <laughs> I've got more. This gets better because we have an hour. Re- this, I'm, and I'm telling you, this is all being hidden. I cannot be clear on this. This is a setup. Everybody knew it was a setup. They walked into court and lied about the setup, insisting it was Russian collusion. They used reporters to further the setup. And now that the setup's about to be exposed, Mueller's the cleanup aisle four. Mueller's the guy trying to make this all go away by keeping the attention on Trump. And I have some more proof for that now. All right. Let me just get to this first because we got to pay for the show. I appreciate your patience. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, got it. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. This is going to get good now. Folks, today's show also brought to you by buddies at iTarget. The iTarget Pro system is the finest system out there for improve your marksmanship, uh, marksmanship, excuse me, with a firearm. Listen, safety and marksmanship come first. We all know that as responsible uh, firearm owners in the United States, right? But marksmanship, uh, let's be candid, is tough to develop. One of the best ways to develop your marksmanship skills with your firearm are, uh, is through dry firing. Competitive shooters dry fire 10 times more than they live fire. Now, what does that mean? means you safely unload your firearm, check it, check it twice, you check it three times. There's no room for error there. Look, look away, make sure it's an empty uh, empty chamber, empty magazine well, and you point that firearm in a safe direction at the range, and you just dry fire. There's no ammunition in it. You don't have to worry about recoil or anything, but the dry fire helps you with a couple of critical skills for marksmanship. Those critical skills are sight alignment, getting your sight picture down, managing your grip, a slow, deliberate trigger pull to the rear. These are all critical skills for top-notch, marks, top-notch marksmanship. Now, it's easier to do that without a round in the chamber because you don't have to worry about the recoil. What's the problem with that? 
The problem with that is you have no idea where the round would have gone because it's empty. iTarget and the iTarget Pro system, they have solved that problem. They will send you a laser round you insert in the empty firearm you have now. You don't have to make any manipulations. It's not going to damage your firearm in any way, shape, or form. You have a 9mm like I do. I have the Sig P365, which I love. It's my new carry. You just drop that round in there. And when you depress the trigger on a safely unloaded weapon, that laser round will emit a laser onto a target iTarget sends you. And you can now see where those rounds would have gone. There's no recoil. There's no cleanup. There's no range time. There's no nothing. It is the simplest way in the world to improve your marksmanship. I have people that send me pictures of their targets. From a, from a Monday to a Friday, they're, they're knocking the wings off a firefly. They're that good. It's really, really a terrific system. Go check it out. It's available at itargetpro.com. That's the letter I, targetpro.com, itargetpro.com. And here's a special for you. If you insert my name, Dan, as a promo code, my first name, Dan, you'll get 10% off. Go to itargetpro.com. This is a really terrific gift, by the way, for that uh, firearm uh, owner in your household to improve their marketmanship. itargetpro.com, promo code, Dan. Um, okay. So now that we're past that part, very clearly, Setup. The setup's being covered up. The setup is about to be covered up by the uh, is about to be exposed by the declassification. Nunes understands it, and I think reporters were used to advance the setup. That's it summed up. Now the cleanup operation has to begin, and they got to make sure nobody finds out about this. So I have insisted to you from day one that there is something going on, uh, unquestionably in my mind, with people in the Obama administration who understand how devastating this is and their efforts to keep the heat on the Trump team, no matter what. The setup cannot be discovered. As I always say, these speeches clean up on Al four. So this weekend, I'm reading a piece of the Daily Beast, which is in the show. The Daily Beast, which does, you know, uh, hit pieces on me routinely, but whatever. Uh, no problem. Now, if they have a piece that's worth your reading, I'm going to put it up. I don't, you know, um, I don't, I'm, I'm not into giving clicks to them, but this piece is worth your time. Because they don't understand what they have, of course, because they're so focused on collusion uh, and nonsense and hours. They don't understand that the real purpose of what's going on here with the Mueller team, is to cover this whole thing up. Now, who reappears this weekend? Well, let me read to you a little, uh, little piece here from this Daily Beast piece, and it all makes sense. Dick Cheney's former top national security aide has come under scrutiny from special counsel Bob Mueller, two people with knowledge of the probe, tell the Daily Beast. It's the latest sign that Mueller's probe has expanded beyond the narrow bounds of Russian interference in American politics. Let me rephrase that last sentence. Um, it's the latest sign that Mueller's probe has absolutely no evidence of collusion whatsoever and is desperately looking to stay relevant. So we're starting to find new alleged crimes because they have to keep the heat on Donald Trump. So the setup of Papadopoulos and Page using our intelligence community is not discovered. I just rephrased that for you, Daily Beast. The Mueller probe, remember, was started to discover alleged Russian collusion that never happened. Mm -hmm. So now, of course, they're branching out into new entrepreneurial criminal endeavors they think they're going to find. Proving my point again, Mueller's probe is only designed to keep the heat on Trump to distract you from all this. The piece goes on. This is where it gets interesting. Mueller's team has been looking into the communications and political dealings of John Hanna, the former Cheney advisor who later worked on Trump's State Department transition team. This includes interactions with Lebanese American businessman and fixer George Nader. Oh! oh! who brokered meetings between foreign dignitaries and Team Trump and Joel Zamel. Okie dokie. Now, Joe knows what this mm -hmm. means. I know a lot of you know what this means, but some of you may not. 
We reported on this well over six months ago. It's in my book, Spygate, a lot of this stuff, which is going to blow your mind. Mueller's key cooperator in this case, in other words, a person giving information to the Mueller team to continuously expand this investigation into Donald Trump has been this well-connected uh, guy named George Nader. Let me read to you from an ABC News piece. Why George Nader cooperating with the Mueller probe and Joe? Incredibly, always seeming to present this new information about new things Mueller needs to, quote, mm. look at. This is just fantastic. And I mean that when I say fantastic, I mean really crappy and like a flaming pile of dog crap on you for that. You go stomp out in a Halloween prank. That cut kind, that kind Got of it. fantastic. So from an ABC, <laughs> the visuals from an ABC <laughs> news piece. Nader's lawyers at powerhouse law firm Latham and Watkins, which include former Obama White House counsel Catherine Rumler have said unnamed individuals are dredging up old criminal cases to discredit him as an important, important witness for Mueller. Folks, who is Catherine Rumler? She's George Nader's lawyer. This is Mueller's ace in the hole. He keeps feeding him new information that keeps this investigation into the Trump team alive. Nader, who's Nader's lawyer? It's Obama's lawyer, Catherine Rumler. Catherine Rumler. Remember the Fixer show? It was one of our most listened mm -hmm. to shows even to this day, ever. Ever. Catherine Rumler was Obama's fixer. She was heavily knee deep involved in the IRS targeting scandal. Whereas Obama's lawyer, she had to uh, create legal strategies to get around what we knew was targeting of conservative groups by the Obama administration. She was knee deep in the Benghazi scandal and the crafting of a narrative afterward. She was knee deep in the Secret Service scandal, the prostitution thing. She was knee deep in the cover up of the White House staffers' involvement in that. Folks, Catherine Rumler, the White House counsel to Obama, has been knee-deep in the handling of all of these Obama scandals. She is the person, if anyone, they should be like looking into for some of the stuff that went on in the Obama administration. Yet she mysteriously shows up as the lawyer for the main source in the Mueller probe who keeps feeding him information about all of these new crimes now. Now we have dealings with the Israelis and the UAE and the Saudis. Keep in mind, nobody's concerned about anything anymore that happened in the Obama administration. What we know now is a setup, I'm telling you, Papadopoulos and Page. Now we're concerned about this guy, Nader, who's feeding constantly new information to the Mueller team. Folks, it gets better. To show you how disturbing this setup is, and how deeply connected all the players are to the Clinton orbit. One of the first things Nader went to and had this conversation with Mueller about, right, was this meeting in the Seychelles between Eric Prince, who's Betsy DeVos of the Trump administration's brother. Mm -hmm. Eric Prince meets in the Seychelles with this Russian. So let me be clear on what. So Nader's a source for Mueller. He keeps feeding him information about stuff entirely unrelated to Russian collusion, but these new and, and, and more fantastic charges each time, right? The reason we talked about Nader six months ago is Nader is the guy, according to multiple reports, who arranges a meeting in the Seychelles between Eric Prince, again, whose sister's in the Trump administration, and this influential Russian, Kirill Dmitriev, who's the head of the Russian Direct Investment Fund. Follow me. 
because this is super important. What the heck is going on here? Nader sets this meeting up. The Mueller team, according to some reports, believes that this was some effort to set up a Russian back channel. I don't understand. Joe, why did they need a Russian back channel? If Trump was colluding with the Russians, why did they need a back channel to do it? They keep telling us this Trump Tower meeting with Trump Jr. was the, this is it. This is the, we have now, this is the Rosetta Stone to translate the whole Mm -hmm. scandal. If they were dealing with Trump Jr., like you said, why did they need a back channel? The answer is they didn't. They just keep making stuff up. There was no back channel. So Prince, who meets with Kirill Dmitriev in the Seychelles, this meeting is set up by the same guy who's feeding Mueller information now and is represented by Obama's lawyer. Folks, this setup is clear as day. Here, this is from Salon.com, Joe. Salon. Salon. Not not Kalan, Delon, Falan, Salon, the left-leaning website. Right. Salon.com did a little expose on the Panama Papers and international money moving around. So keep in mind, the guy feeding Mueller information, his main uh, uh, informant right now, who's represented by Obama's lawyer, keeps bringing up these new things to keep the attention on Trump. Six months ago, I reported on a meeting he sets up with Prince and Dmitriev. Here's who Dmitriev really is. The Russian. Quote from the Salon piece. In his report on the Clinton machines ties to Saudi Arabia, Michael Isikoff also notes that two of the Clinton lobbyist bundlers, Richard Sullivan and David Jones, are principals in a firm that until late last year represented the Russian Direct Investment Fund, a sovereign wealth fund co-founded by Vladimir Putin when he was prime minister. This is the investment fund run by the Russian meeting with the guy, Eric Prince in the Seychelles. It was, quote, represented by Clinton lobbyist bundlers. They were principals in a in a firm that re- folks are. Please tell me you're following this. Listen, I know this is complicated, and yeah. I humbly beg you to. I get it. I know some of you don't like when I repeat stuff, but it is critical you understand this. This is the most disgusting, disturbing setup in in human history. It is. This is so horrifyingly obvious to anybody paying attention. What happened here? All of the players involved in these Joe suspicious meetings Mueller is investigating are all connected to the Clinton orbit. Oh, it was a setup. This guy, Prince, whose sister works in the Trump administration, the Democrats are alleging, oh, he's, he was dealing with the Russians trying to create a back channel. He was meeting with a Russian who's, who's a Russian whose investment fund had significant business dealings with Clinton lobbyists and bundlers. This is Salon reporting this. And the meeting was set up between the Russian connected to the Clinton lobbyists. The meeting was set up by a guy named Nader, George Nader, whose lawyer is Obama's White House fixer. It's, I mean, guys, is anyone in the media going to do this story outside of uh, Lee Smith, uh, Jeff Carlson at the uh, uh, at the Epoch Times, is anybody going to do this story? Anyone? Well, Chuck Ross. If, to be fair, I know Sarah and John. I get. I can't game name all that. You get my. But there are people in our space right here interested in the truth. People in the mainstream media will shout conspiracy theory. I just read to you Salon.com's report on the connections between a Russian 
meeting with Eric Prince and Clinton lobbyists, a meeting that was set up by a guy whose lawyer is Obama's former White House counsel. You're not even remotely interested? Hmm. By the way, this guy Nader was connected to the Clinton White House and, to be fair, Republican White Houses as well. Are you even remotely interested on how Nader decided to set up this meeting, who told him to do it and why, and how he seemingly found Obama's White House counsel to represent him as he's become Mueller's chief guy? Folks, this is ridiculous. It is so obvious what's going on. I mean, thank you. My gosh, can you just open your eyes? Can we ask the put it to bed? If none of this is nefarious, fine. Maybe it's all an innocent mistake that Obama's fixer in the White House that fixed all his problems is seemingly fixing his spygate problem by providing a source that's now feeding information to Mueller to keep the attention on Donald Trump. Maybe it's all innocent. Is anyone going to ask the questions? You gonna you gonna tell me I'm making this up? Salon's lying. George Nader's not a source. Catherine Rumler's not his lawyer. Kirill Dmitry of the Russian didn't have this relationship with a firm represented by Clinton lobbyists. What this is all made up? Call out Salon.com, not me. Now all of a sudden, just to take this full circle, this weekend I'm reading that piece. In the Daily Beast, and the Daily Beast seems to be completely immune to any of these connections at all. The Daily Beast piece this weekend. Oh, look, now Mueller's team is looking into this guy, John Hanna, Hanna, who used to work with Dick Cheney and his meetings with George Nader. Ladies and gentlemen, how many meetings did George Nader set up? Nader seems to be the key figure in all of these suspicious meetings Mueller's looking into that don't seem to have any criminal connection at all, however unsavory these meetings are. Washington, D.C., sadly, is full of unsavory meetings all the time. People who work in the lobbying space, folks, I got news for you, do this all the time. Where's the criminality? As Joe said last week, which I left my butt off, where are the Russians? Where's the Russian colluder? Are we ever going to produce that? Oh, now Nader, the Daily Beast again this weekend. Oh, now Nader's... He was a he set up a meeting with this guy who worked for Cheney and this guy was involved in a Trump team. Okay, so what? So what's the point? I thought we were investigating collusion in the election. Now we're investigating lobbyists and and who they meet with. uh, What what are we what are we doing here? Basic question, Joe, you think someone would have answered a long time ago? Yeah. All right. Uh, I got a lot more to get to, folks. This is going to be a stacked show today. So. um... I spent a little more time on that than I planned, but it's an important, important story. This was so obviously a setup that, gosh, if people just opened their eyes, we'd get there. All right. Uh, today's show also brought to you by buddies at GenuCell. Hey, it's the saggy jawline, ladies and gentlemen. It's this jawline and the double chin that give your age away. Not anymore. Introducing the brand new GenuCell jawline treatment with dual peptide and MDL technology. It's Chamonix's most advanced technology ever. My wife loves this stuff. She doesn't have a sagging jawline. Uh, but you know what? This is like a proactive, preemptive measure because she looks so beautiful and young. She's like, I'm going to stay this way. I say, yes, you are forever. My mother-in-law loves it too. It not only tightens the saggy jawline, but it plumps the lipophilic layers of your skin to contour and define the jawline within minutes using peptides and metal lactones together for the first time. It works amazingly quick and the results get better every day. Just try it. You'll really dig this stuff. No one else has the technology or our proprietary chemical-free base 
So say goodbye to that double chin right now. Ahorita, right now. And here's the best news. It's yours free when you order GenuCell for under-eye bags and puffiness and for results in 12 hours. GenuCell's immediate effects is also free. Text the word young, like the opposite of old, because you will look young. Text young to 77453 or go to GenuCell.com and select my name, Dan Bongino, at checkout. Please do that. Imagine that double chin disappearing in about a week with GenuCell's jawline treatment. 100% guaranteed or your money back. You won't need it. We get nothing but positive emails about this. Stop imagining, call or click now. Text YOUNG, YOUNG to 77453 or visit GenuCell.com and select my name at checkout. That's GenuCell, uh, G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com, GenuCell.com. All right. A couple other interesting things I saw this weekend from a Wall Street Journal piece. Let me just get, I got to find it. I have so much stuff going on, folks. It gets, uh, it gets a little overwhelming. Uh, Wall Street Journal piece I read this weekend. The um, the Democrats are in a little bit of trouble. And I, I, I you know, I don't want to be overly optimistic about 2020. And I got to say, I'm trying to get out of the predictions game uh, when it comes to elections. I think a lot of stuff we've been able to predict on the Spygate front um, has come to fruition because we did a lot of homework. But it's getting more and more difficult, given the dynamic news cycle, to predict the results of any election ever. I, I mean, uh, I, I again, I thought we would keep the House by a couple. It turns out this, uh, you know, we lost some suburban votes and we lost. Uh, but the Senate, we were on target. But I will say this, in 2020, there is a big, big growth potential in one specific um, voter demographic, actually more than one, a a voter demographic that I think is flying under the radar. And I mentioned it last week, and now the Wall Street Journal picked up on the story, and I want to read something to you. Now, let's be clear here. I said to you last week, the problem we had in the 2018 midterms, which is obvious at this point, let's not put lipstick on it. Okay, we did fine in the Senate. We added a few seats. We should have added a few more. I don't know what the hell happened in Montana and Arizona. Um, I know I'm still perplexed about that Mm. whole thing, despite all the emails from the viewers. But we did fine on the Senate side. Uh, We did awful on the House side. Uh, It was kind of a split decision on the governor's side. Right. One of the things that did happen is we lost a lot of upper income, college educated suburban voters. We just did. I wish we didn't, but we did. We lost a Brat seat. We lost a lot of suburban seats, Barbara Comstock in Virginia. A lot of seats we should have held that we didn't. Um, you know, the Mia Love seat, which looks like she may not win, uh, ironically. Um, but a lot of these suburban seats were in a lot of trouble. Why is, is an open question uh, pollsters will interpret for a long time? Are people mad at Trump for the Twitter? I have no idea. Uh, I mean, the economy's firing on all cylinders right now. I really don't know what people are upset about outside of personal differences with the president, which seems bizarre. I don't you know, I don't have him over for dinner. I like him personally, but I don't know why you'd even care. Do you get a raise? Your job going OK? I mean, is the government generally staying out of your life? What's the big deal? Here's where we I think we have the chance to make up votes dramatically. And I know in the past this would have been left off, but I brought it up last week. I said minority voters are joe remember this this is an area for a growth area for us in the republican party where the potential is almost limitless now from the wall street journal uh one lesson from the midterms the latino vote is up for grabs says the headline in a commentary published by a boston public broadcaster wbur the author is josiane martinez a political consultant who this year helped the progressive leftist ayanna presley win a house seat which used to belong to a more centrist democrat joe listen to this This is a leftist writing. This is not a conservative. Ms. Martinez discussed Florida, where I live. 
where 44% of Latinos voted for Republican gubernatorial candidate Ron DeSantis. Yeah! Who famously appeared in a campaign ad helping his young child build President Trump's border wall out of play, out of play bricks. Folks, this is only a mystery to identity politics focused liberals who think Hispanic voters vote like the Borg from Star Trek. They don't see you. Listen to me. If you happen to be Hispanic, Latino, what it doesn't matter. Spanish, Cuban, Puerto Rican. It doesn't make my wife's Colombian. Wherever you're from, they view you as a bunch of robots, not like individuals like the conservative movement does. They don't see you as individuals. They see you as a collecting voting block for them. Even Chewy knows it. And he bothers him too. <laughs> Folks, they are starting to lose and hemorrhage Hispanic votes. We've seen it in Texas. We've seen it in Florida. We've seen it in Arizona where the Republican governor won handily in a state with a heavy Hispanic population. I'm telling you, when we start closing in consistently on numbers like Ron DeSantis got, 44 45, 46% of Hispanic voters, the left is going to be decimated. And the reason is they keep talking to Hispanic voters as if they're robots. And they are missing out on the fact that not every Hispanic voter sees immigration, the economy, the way you do. But it gets worse for them. This is why I think in 2020, I'm telling you, Trump may be a transformational figure if we can keep the economy firing on all cylinders. Again, this could change overnight, so I don't want to be dramatic. But if Trump can hold solid Ron DeSantis-like and Greg Abbott-like numbers with the Hispanic, and Doug Ducey numbers with the Hispanic community, they could be in a world of trouble, the Democrats, folks, a world of trouble in 2020. It gets worse for them. This is continues from the Wall Street Journal piece, Joe. Nearby at the Boston Globe, Renee Graham recently drafted a memo titled Memo to Black Men. Stop voting Republican. The left is panicking. These are two progressives writing articles about how black and Hispanic voters are starting to say, ah, eh, these Republicans may not be so bad. Right, they're, right. they're saying, everyone, stop, don't look, don't vote Republican. Here's another leftist. Here's what she writes. This is her, not me. She writes, brothers, we need to talk. Brothers, like assuming like, again, it's some collective mindset. Brothers, we need to talk. In the midterm, yo, you're my brother. No, I mean this. The black voters out there, I said this. You're my brother. You're not theirs because I've knocked on doors. I actually ran for office. And the majority of black voters I ran into care about the stuff I care about. Life, religion, spirituality, hard work. Ah, oh, what I have, aren't you saying? No, I'm telling you my experience knocking on actual doors. You're my brothers in liberty. Brothers. And, and the liberals use that in a disrespectful condescending, uh, think like a robot way. I mean it in brothers in principle. They mean it brothers in you better vote for us or we're going to tear you apart. You're my brothers. You are with us. Liberty, freedom, hard work, God, family, country, spirituality. You are our brothers and you're our sisters. We will defend your rights, your liberty, no matter what. They just want your vote. These people are entirely full of crap. Brothers. They don't mean that. You don't mean any of that. I can prove it to you. You are welcome here anytime. Always. I said to you over, we love you here. You are welcome here anytime. Black, Hispanic, Asian, nobody cares. Man, woman, child. You are welcome in liberty anytime. 
You leave them, you watch what they do to you. Watch. Dare to speak out for your right to defend yourself. Dare to speak out for tax freedom. And you watch what happens. Brothers. Brothers, my caboose. They don't mean that. She says, brothers, we need to talk. In the midterm elections, listen to this. About 17% of black men voted to give Ted Cruz another term in the Senate. Around 11% supported Georgia gubernatorial candidate Brian Kemp. Now, the piece goes on. This is important. Now, that, now this is the journal, not, 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 uh, not the writer anymore. Okay? Mm-hmm. The journal says, hey, these aren't huge percentages, but it's enough to disrupt Democratic strategies that have been premised for years on overwhelming support among African-Americans. Ms. Graham is particularly concerned that younger black men are more open to voting Republican than their elders, and you're damn right they are. Because they're starting to see that the defenders of their freedom, too, are us. We're your brothers. They're not your brothers. They're entirely full of crap. They view you as a vote. They see you as a ticket to their power only. We don't see you as a ticket to anything. We see you as an accomplice in the fight for liberty. And we always will. Always. They are freaking out right now. Because Hispanic voters are starting to wake up in mass that liberty and freedoms for them too. Black voters, young black men are starting to say, hey, this job, this job thing, this tax freedom, healthcare freedom stuff, these Republicans aren't so bad and it is freaking them out, folks. I'm just telling you to wrap this up on 2020. We are going to lose some suburban voters. Again, I don't have a good theory on what's going on. Is it personal? Is it the Twitter thing? I don't know. If I did, I'd be a billion-dollar political consultant. But it is happening. Can we stop it? Yes. Should we stop it? Yes. Maybe economic growth, additional growth will stop the hemorrhaging of suburban voters from the Republican Party. But if we can make that up with 15 20% of the black vote, And 45% of the Hispanic vote, the Democrat Party, I'm telling you, will be done for decades. They will be finished. They have nowhere else to go. If we get working class Americans, exurbs, rural Americans, the agricultural community, union workers on board who are starting to support Trump in large numbers, Hispanic voters, good percentages of black voters, there is no demographic combination of moving the Rubik's Cube around where they'll solve the puzzle of the Democrats anymore. None. They need 90% plus of the black community or it's over. It is over. They can't deal with any less. It won't work, folks. Man, I'm telling you, that puts a smile on my face. I have said forever, gosh, you are so welcome here. And if we, we will... Please, black, Hispanic voters, Asian voters, anyone, you are welcome here with open arms. We love you to death, man. Seriously, come on over. You are so welcome here. There is no judging, no nothing. You are a child of God. Nobody gives a damn about the color of your skin, what language you spoke as a child, or where you came from. This is a liberty movement that'll take as many foot soldiers as we can get. And and if you want to pick up a a, 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 a liberty stick in, in the fight for liberty in the future and join the front lines with her, you are welcome here with open arms, open arms. The left sees you as a tool to power, and that is it. I just wish you'd see that. They support nothing you support in my experience. 
wiping out life in the womb, the diminishment of spirituality of your life, the destruction of your families, the taking of your money and your health care. They support all of that stuff. That is not, in my experience, what the majority of black voters I came into contact with said when I actually met them door to door. It is not. That is not what they're for. All right. Um, sorry, just kind of passionate for me, folks. I really it's, it just uh, it is the one area. If there's one thing I could change, it would just be to get our message out better to the black and Hispanic community. We're doing just a terrible job, and the media is doing us no favors either by constantly fabricating nonsense stories. Hey, uh, one last thing here. Um, Matt Palumbo has a really wonderful piece up at Bongino.com I have in the show notes that I cannot encourage you in strong enough terms to read. Matt is really great at debunking economic myths by the mm-hmm. left, and he has a, a bunch of debunked this articles at Bongino.com. It'll be in the show notes today if you subscribe to my email list. This is a really, really good one about Scandinavian socialism. It's not socialism. Denmark, Sweden, they don't have socials. Matt debunks a lot of the myths. I'm going to get into it in a little more detail on tomorrow's show, but I just want to tease a little bit today. Read the piece that way in tomorrow's show you already read in. He, he makes a great point how the left, Joe, like, oh, we need to be more like Denmark and Sweden. You do? <laughs> he says, because, quote, in America, an earner isn't subject to the top tax bracket of 37% until they earn over $500,000. In other words, you have to be pretty rich in the United States to pay the top tax bracket. Right. But the left says we want to be more like Sweden and Denmark and Norway. Really? Because while an American would need to earn eight times the average income to be subjected to our top tax rate, the figures in Sweden and Norway are only 1.5 and 1.6 and, uh, times and 1.3 in Denmark. So how would America's tax system look if it were more like Scandinavia's? If the UX tax code were as flat as Denmark's, remember the left, we love Denmark. Bernie, let's be like Denmark. It's socialism. It's not socialism. Wake up. Take an economics class. If the U.S. tax code were as flat as Denmark, Bernie loves it, someone earning $70,000 would face a top marginal tax rate. You want to be more like Denmark? You make $70K a year, your tax rate's going to be 46.3%. Nice. That's your federal tax rate. That's not state, local, and property taxes, too. By the way, Matt sources all this stuff, so you can check it out. Mm. That's simply the first layer of taxation, by the way, as all Scandinavian countries show, have an additional 25% value-added tax on purposes. How you like them apples, folks? You want to be more like Denmark? Get ready to fork over about 60% of your money. In the middle class, by the way. Read the piece tomorrow. I'll go into some more of the tidbits. But for all you uh, Denmark, it's not socialism, number one. They don't own the means of production. That's what socialism is. It's a big tax, heavy, uh, big government, heavy tax society. And unless you're willing to pay 60% of your income and go on the record and support that, clam up about being more like Scandinavian countries because you're not willing to do that because nobody votes for that stuff. All right, folks, thanks again for tuning in. More on this tomorrow. Uh, please subscribe to the show. It's free. It helps us move up the charts, helps people discover us. It means a lot to us, please. It is free on iTunes, iHeartRadio, where you can click the follow button, SoundCloud, uh, Spotify, other places as well. You can check us out on Google Podcasts. Uh, please subscribe. It matters a lot to us. Thanks a lot. Thanks for uh, sharing our content too. We really appreciate it. And I will see you all tomorrow. Happy Thanksgiving week. I love this week. See you all later. You just heard the Dan Bongino Show. Get more of Dan online anytime at conservativereview.com. You can also get Dan's podcasts on iTunes or SoundCloud. And follow Dan on Twitter 24-7 at DBongino.